Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who has anointed us and sends us. Amen. Luke chapter 14, the cost of discipleship is a high calling, a very high calling, and if we take it for what it says, is an incredible challenge, one that on our own druthers are, in our own will, there's no way we could ever live up to it. But our God is simply saying that I have created you, I have called you, I have purpose for you. Let nothing, even those things and those people closest to you, inhibit what me, your God, has called you and called you to be. We begin this series, Work as worship, and if you want to talk about something that can consume you and consume your whole family and consume your time during the week, work could be one of these things. Could have simply added that to the reading. Hebrews. And the reading in Hebrews, people were walking disobedient to God, but God implores his people that they would act as God acted, that they would rest, that they would Sabbath, that they would spend time with him. In Deuteronomy, we hear that we should choose not death, but we should choose life by walking in the ways of God, not because his, uh, his rules or his statutes are something that press in on us or constrain us, but really when we walk down that straight road, there is great joy and there is great freedom. There is great creativity. There is great multiplication. We have been created to worship. We've been created to work And so we can say work is worship. And that's the overture of this week and the next several weeks. Last Sunday we finished our sermon series on Psalms. And we ended with Psalm 115. That has this beginning overture and this uh, crescendo in in the very beginning of not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. For you have been steadfast and faithful in your love and your mercy. That's who our God is. He is steadfast and he's merciful. He's consistent and he's predictable. He is one who gives and gives and pours out over and over again. And so may his name and his character receive all the praise and the glory. And we talked last week as we walked through Psalm 115. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go onto the podcast or go onto the website and listen. Because what's going to happen the next several weeks is founded. And last week really is the foundation on this word worship. And in Psalm 115, we talked about there being an overture in Psalm 115. That there is an object of our worship, namely God and who he is. But then we run into some opponents that get in the way of us worshiping. And then finally, we talked about the outcome of worship. And I want to use that exact same framework as we begin this series on work as worship. That there is an overture. That there is an object. 
that there are opponents and that there is an outcome to work as worship. And so if you're a note taker, I encourage you to pull out your your bulletin. I also encourage you to open up to Genesis chapter 2. As we begin this series of work as worship, so often times we uh, separate and act as if there's a divide between the workplace, the marketplace, and whether that for you is school or in the traditional sense of a blue-collar or white-collar job or for some of you uh, maybe uh, working at home and caring for the kids, maybe it's, it's retirement. Or volunteering. Where, where are those spaces? When I say work, I'm talking about those primary places that you engage in and you engage with other people. Work as worship. And here's the overture if you want to write it down. God created us to worship, which we talked about last week. God created us to work, which I'm going to show you in Genesis 2. So work is worship. The question is, what are you worshiping? Right? So let's open up to Genesis chapter 2. I want to begin actually in the very beginning part where they are summarizing creation in its seven days, right? God spoke and it was created. God said, let there be light and there was light. And so we see in our own God, that part of his character is to create. And he's incredibly creative. If you let your eye run over to, say, Genesis 2, uh, 19, this is where he tells Adam that he's going to name all the animals to try to find a helper suitable for him. So he's like, aardvark, aardvark, right? Giraffe, giraffe, and elephant, and platypus. And just even hearing those those names of these animals, you start to see God's creativity. Much less if you start to look at plants and all the various plants there are. When we were in Guatemala in June, we went and saw this orchid uh, farm. And this guy collects and goes all around the world finding unique orchids. There were 10,000 different uh, types of orchids. Like who who creates 10,000 plus orchids? A creative God, right, who loves the intricate detail in all things. Our God is a God who creates. But before he goes about creating and working, he does this. Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and the host of them, and on the seventh day... God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. And then he talks about in more detail about anthropology. He talks in detail about humanity and what he's called humanity to do. So he talks about how he creates Adam and then Adam is created. God breathes spirit and breathes life into Adam. Let your eyes go down to verse 15. And let's read verse 15 together. 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. See, work is not a curse. A work is part of being made in the image of God. For God created us to worship and God created us to work good and perfect work. But we know that isn't completely our experience. And so I want to show you a video that kind of starts explaining more and more where we're going to be going over the next few weeks. I am a traveler, an asteroid, a shuttle between two worlds. Five days a week, I put on my suit, and I journey with millions of fellow voyagers to an alien planet. Ignition sequence start. It's up and burning. Two, one, zero, and liftoff. Leaving behind the principles that govern my home. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. I've found little use for them in this other place. Where the environment can be demanding and the atmosphere harsh. Every week, I cross the vast expanse that separates my faith and my work. And we've begun to reap the consequences of this separation. Enron, Lehman, bailouts, recession, an economy buckling under the weight of debt accrued while we finance our desire for instant gratification. A get-rich-quick world that views the economy as a machine we manipulate and exploit to get what we want, that values profit and personal gain above all else. But God has a different path for us. He calls us to impact our world for His glory. For most of us, a huge part of that world is work. We are called to be a witness, to share our faith, but our responsibility doesn't end there. God created us to work, to be stewards of His creation, to cultivate and multiply so that not only we flourish, but we help our neighbors and future generations flourish. Economies thrive when people have integrity and trust each other, when relationships are built on interdependence and mutual service, when organizations create value for others as well as themselves. To accomplish this in a fallen world, we must look to the principles of our faith. Creation, the Trinity, the fall, redemption, Every major element of Christian theology has profound application in work and for the economy. The principles of the Bible help us become both pious and productive, serving others while keeping companies profitable, practicing both justice and sound economics. Because our faith is not a home base, it's not merely one of many planets orbiting our lives. It is our life. It's our hope and the only hope for the world around us. I pray that as we discuss this more and more, that you would feed back to us where you have seen this play out in its beauty and where you've seen this play out in its destruction. 
Kind of like that reading, Deuteronomy 30, right? Life and death, but I want you to choose life. I want you to choose the path of joy. Work is a beautiful thing. And I, I can speak from this experience, and I've mentioned it to you before. I desperately miss being in the marketplace. Desperately. I used to be a teacher. And I used to get to interact with people as a normal human being. I am no longer normal. I'm weird, bizarre, and why would you want to be or get to know me? Because I'm already judging you, supposedly. That's the thought process. It's not true. What I could, Pastor Steve and I and any one of us who have served in ministry would beg and plead and implore those of you who work in the marketplace, you have the opportunity, you have the access, you are the ministers and the missionaries and the sent ones of God. Like no other. We're here, right? God has called us into this vocation to equip you to go out, right? As a church that cares, that we live that out together through active relationships, right? And sending people out to make disciples. Yes, we have that responsibility in our neighborhood as well. But we lose out 40, 50 hours 60, I don't know, however many you're working, right? We lose that out because we're not interacting. And then we have all sorts of barriers to come over. So I don't want to, it's a joy. I love it. But I'll tell you, I miss it. Because my access and my conversations have to take a whole different turn than they used to. So I say this to say, do you see what an incredible gift God has given you? To do two things, and we'll talk about this as we go down in the series. To worship in your work. It's not just a means to, to earn a living or to provide for the family. It's so much more than that. And then secondly, that God has sent us into the workplace as a, a wonderful place to share the hope and the peace and the comfort and the joy and the <clears throat> purpose that God has created for us to be, here's the overture. God has created us to worship. God has created us to work. Work is worship. So who am I in the workplace? I pray that you are a worshiper of God who's given you the opportunity to live out the image of God as a creator, as a maker. It's absolutely incredible and wonderful. And so if that's the overture... Then the question following our pattern from last week with Psalm 115 is, what's the object of our worship? Well, let me rephrase it another way today. What's the object of our work? I'm almost using these terms synonymously. Well, what's the object of my work? Uh, increase the balance sheet. Uh, to fix someone's problem, to educate or cause someone to move forward, uh, to bring protection so that other people might thrive in freedom. Let me go down the list. But I think what God is totally telling us 
if we were to look through scriptures that first and foremost, the object of our work is to glorify him, to praise him in creation, in care, in education, whatever it may be. In surveying the creation that God's made us, God has called us to work, but it quickly leads into a death mill. There's an overture to work, and Jesus and God, no doubt, is the object of our work and worship, right? Then what are the opponents? You know these all too well. There are many of them, and we'll only share a few here. Now, how about this? That work itself becomes our God. Right? You remember in Psalm 115? Let me turn there real quick. Psalm 115, verse 8, says this. Those who make them, that is, gods or idols, small g-o-d's, become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord, right? Let him be the object. He is their help and he is their shield. See, God is protecting us from ourselves. And some of you have done this. I've done this. I don't say this proudly. This is a reality. I'm a recovering addict. And you know what my drug of choice was? Maybe I should say my drug of choice is? Take a guess. None of you are willing to guess. That's cool. It's work. It's an addiction. To find value and identity, to find purpose, to go and go and go, all the way until you crash and you burn. Or maybe someone saves you before you crash and burn. But there is so much. But this workaholism or any ism, right, is all about I. Instead of letting God be the one who sits on the throne. We're going to all the wrong places and all the wrong spaces in order to have the object of worship being the creator. And so when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, may your mind not just stop at creation thousands upon thousands upon thousands of whatever years ago. God is still making and God is still creating. Ephesians chapter 2 says that you are God's workmanship and he's created things for you to do in advance of you doing them. For God is still a maker and a creator and you are one of those entrepreneurs. You are one of those inventors. You are one of those makers and creators that God is still using today. So our work has incredible purpose. But like I said, sometimes... We make all sorts of opponents or problems, the most of which is that big nasty god or idol named I. Right? Another nasty idol. Has to do with this reading, the second reading that Pastor Jeff read 
from Hebrews. And it has to do with Sabbath and has to do with rest. So many of us have the wrong sort of rhythm. We work, get exhausted, and then we try to recover via rest. So if you were to draw on your, on your, your notes just a, a semicircle going down, okay? Semicircle going down. And you were to put a pendulum on it. So many of us work, and then we fall in exhaustion and we rest. And that's not the way God created you. Invert or reverse those. God allowed Adam and Eve to rest. And from their rest, from their Sabbath, from their time praising, glorifying God, from their time being filled with grace, mercy, and steadfastness, Psalm 115, that God then sends us out to what? Bear fruit, Luke 15, right? The vine and the branches to then go work and to go create and go produce and then come back, rest again. There's a reason why Sunday is the beginning of the week. And I don't want to get into Roman calendars and all that stuff. But for you, child of God, God brings you here in the beginning of the week, not the end of the week. He brings you here in the beginning of the week so you may celebrate him, worship him, be filled by him, right? So that you can be sent out to be a co-creator, to be a co-maker. And that's going to look different for each and every one of us in different spaces, right? But I don't want you to overlook and jump into the, to the how, how do we make this practical question, which is a good one. These two opponents, the I issue, because life is really hard at home, I'm going to work harder because at least I get affirmation there. Anybody ever fall into that one? It's Okay. And the other issue of the rest-work rhythm, when I say rest, I do mean sleeping and those type of things, but I mean resting in the Lord and, and waking up, right? That same rhythm can happen before I put my feet on the floor when that alarm rings at 4 o'clock in the morning. Right? I'm praying to God, I'm filling my mind with his scripture, so he's filling me so that I can be sent out to work. And so that rhythm isn't just a seven-day rhythm, it's a 24-hour rhythm. And when your day starts that way, and I challenge you, if your day's not starting that way, that you start, and I guarantee that your work life starts to change. And you start to see her or him with new lenses and new opportunities. And God's going to bring about abundant fruit from your obedience and your faithfulness to starting the day in him. Those two opponents, I and my rhythm. And God says, rest in me, Sabbath with me, to dwell or to tabernacle with me so that you may go produce. Overture, okay? Object. Opponents. And to introduce this last 
component outcome, I want to play a video for you about a gentleman here in Texas. Uh, it's a longer video. It's going to be about four or five minutes, so sit in. But he makes so many critical, important points about this whole idea. And so I'd encourage you to actually grab a pencil and, and write some notes about some key words or key ideas that he lifts out. And before we started, I also I want to say this. This whole idea of work as worship is maybe something you've heard about before. Maybe this is new to you. But it's really an area that's critically important for you. And so right now media, which is our online Bible study format, if you're not connected with that or you're like, I don't even know how to use the internet, they come talk to us. There's such a plethora of resources there in terms of Bible studies around this, illustrations around this, conferences around this idea. This is finally coming to be picked up, those of you who've grown up in the, in the Lutheran church all of your life, and the issue of vocation. This is something Luther talked about uh, 500 plus years ago and is finally coming back to be talked about and people are producing things around. If you want to hear about companies that are uh, really focused on allowing their employees and their, their whole structure to be evolved around what it is to be uh, kingdom impactors for the glory of God. There's a bunch of them, and because they didn't pay us any money, I'm not going to tell you all of them. You can come to Bible study, I'll tell you all of them. So you have access to all sorts of stuff. It's beautiful stuff. So grab a piece of paper, grab a pencil, and let's listen uh, to Brazen. When I was a freshman in college, I really, really started to study um, God's Word, and I really started to think about what He wanted me to do with my life. He'd given me some talents and abilities, and I thought, how, how can I use those? What, what, what am I on this earth to do? I've always drawn. Growing up as a kid, I uh, would draw every time I got a chance. Even in church, I was drawing. And so that's when I really started to think about animation and film and, and how I can use some of what I've been given with drawing and, and really get into that. I graduated with a film degree, put together a portfolio and a demo reel and submitted it to a local studio here in Dallas. Luckily, after six months of trying and submitting my work, they finally allowed me to come in. I came in as an intern, getting to work on things like you know Kung Fu Panda and uh, Shrek commercials and Open Season 2, Open Season 3 for Sony. It was a great experience. Throughout my career, getting to work on commercials, feature films, short films, all fantastic. Great creatively, great artistically, really challenging as an artist and as an animator. And having been a fan, a huge fan of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia, I really started to think about how can I use my life, how can I use my talents to tell stories that, yes, are both entertaining but also purposeful, that have more meaning. I left that job and I decided it's time to start a studio that told these kinds of stories, these more meaningful, purposeful stories. So together, my partners and I started Brazen Animation. In the Old Testament, when the priests would go into the tabernacle, what they would offer sacrifices on is called the Brazen Altar. And the Brazen Altar, obviously, is the thing that they would bring their best to God. It was their absolute best. That really resonated uh, with us in the fact that you can bring your best to God, that idea of bringing your best to God and what that symbolized. And so we strive for greatness in our work, for greatness in our storytelling, greatness in our art, 
greatness in our work, how we deal with each other. We want to not just tell a good message, but we want to be an example to the Christian world, the secular world, the whole world. We want to push the quality level of those stories. A lot of faith-based content, to be honest with you, from a, a, a production value and, and a quality level, I would say it's not very good, frankly. The message may be good, but the quality level and the production value is not good. And that's something that is very, very frustrating as a Christian for me. As, as Christians, we've forgotten that God did not make us to be mediocre. We want to take the talents we've been given that God gave us, and we want to we continue to push those because He's made us to be great. Clients will approach us sometimes and, and, and say, hey, can you do this project that has lots of gore and blood and guts, or can you do something that has lots of, lots of sexual innuendo or even just flat-out sexuality, and we have to turn those jobs down. After we explain it, you know, they understand. They're, they're disappointed, but they understand, and, and we leave on good terms with them, but obviously we're not going to promote those types of negative values with our work, whether Christian or not, because we do have some non-Christians here. They believe in what we're doing, and um, it is, is a great thing. We have very candid conversations every day about the content, what we're producing, the meaning behind it. We don't want to be preachy with our content, and we manage the studio in the same way. So just my daily behavior, just my daily walk, um, and how I conduct myself with my staff, with my crew, with the studio, will show them Jesus Christ. God made me to do animation and to tell stories and to make film the best that I can possibly make them. And so we are here to do those things. And so everyone here comes here and they're passionate about the work and about creating great work. The name of the company is Brazen. The Brazen Altar, and we can don't have time to go into all of that, and I'd love to. But as God's people, they would... <clears throat> the Old Testament, they would, they would bring their sacrifice and they lay it before the, the brazen altar and they'd bring their best to God. And it would arise as this pleasing aroma to him, the sacrifice. And that's, that's what they're saying is, see, our, our identity, right, is in the person of Jesus Christ. Our identity is not in a position but it's in the person of Jesus Christ, for he has created us to worship. He's created us to work. And so our work now, even in this fallen world, is a place for us to worship. In all of its fullness, and all of its glory, to share the, the blessings of God's kingdom. And so work is both a means... And an end to honor God and to lift up his kingdom. It's both a, a means and an end to honor God by caring for our neighbor, our co-worker, or maybe a customer. Our work is a form of worshiping God, serving our neighbor, working to together, that you can do more together, right? That we can do more together as we vertically think about our relationship with God and involving Him in the workplace and His power and His wisdom. And then doing that horizontally with those we work with on the horizontal axis. Let me just close with this. In Genesis chapter 2 and in other places, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for work is translated from the Hebrew word avodah. 
And depending on the context of what is going on around Avodah, Avodah gets translated as service. Can even mean worship. And it can mean work. God has created us to worship. God has created us to work. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about different aspects of what it means to worship in the workplace, including even the, the concept of retirement, uh, the workplace being a mission field, uh, the workplace uh, being a place of blessing to our neighbor. And so I invite you to come back again and let's talk about, and as I said earlier, I want to hear from you. So jot down notes, jot down emails, send questions, send stories so that we can hear how God has been using or where there's been challenge in your life around this topic. Let's stand up. Let's uh, give ourselves to the Lord. Father God, we praise you and we thank you. Uh, just as your chosen people in Israel brought uh, the best, they brought the firstborn, the unblemished Lord to the altar as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to you. They brought their very best, Father, as we go out this week. Lord, filled by you, filled by your word, being reminded that you have claimed us as your disciples in the water of baptism, that your words of forgiveness have been declared, that we go out this week not to ourselves, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name. May you use our work, Lord, to glorify you and benefit our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.